0: Homily for the Fourth Sunday of Advent, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, December 20, 2020. We're approaching the final days of Advent. All four candles on the Advent wreath are burning. Before we come to the solemnity of Christmas and the scene at Bethlehem, it's only fitting that we take some time today to meditate on what today's Gospel recounted for us. It's what set everything in motion nine months earlier, the Annunciation. When I stand here at the pulpit, I have the privilege of gazing on the stained glass window around the corner from you that faces my direction, representing the first joyful mystery. And I want to share a couple of points that I draw from the image. After Mass, I invite you to roam over here to examine the window more closely for yourselves. For one thing, in the foreground on the lower left, there is a basket of flowers in bloom. This indicates fertility, and that we share in the act of God's creation through the transmission of life. Although the Virgin Mary stated plainly that she had not had the necessary relations to conceive a child, Gabriel revealed that the Holy Spirit, in this truly unique instance in human history, would make it possible. So highly sought after and treasured was this young girl from Galilee that the Father would entrust her with the motherhood of his beloved Son. We also recall that in Litanies of the Blessed Virgin Mary, one title attributed to her is Mystical Rose. Perhaps mystical is as appropriate an adjective to use as any for this encounter. In the background of the window's upper right corner, is an apple tree. Lest we think this is incidental, we ought to recall another title popularly given to Mary, namely, the New Eve. What was deprived of the human family due to the disobedience of our first parents would be restored through Mary's obedience and the consequent death and resurrection of Christ her Son. Despite having physically given birth only to Jesus, Mary is the spiritual mother of all his brothers and sisters. She is the mother of the Church, by means of which we are truly alive because of our baptism. Rather than to hungrily grasp the forbidden fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden, we receive the fruit of eternal life with her help as the Mediatrix of divine grace. I'd like to transition to speaking about someone not in the Annunciation window, but important for the Christmas story just the same. St. Joseph, the Husband of Mary. Recently, Pope Francis issued a brief document marking the 150th anniversary of his predecessor, Blessed Pope Pius IX, naming St. Joseph patron of the Universal Church. This inspired the Holy Father also to declare a year of St. Joseph, in which the faithful are encouraged to gain a plenary indulgence. I'll expand on that in a moment, but let's begin with the background to this devotion. One sees numerous works of art of St. Joseph that contain the Latin phrase, Ite ad Joseph" or Go to Joseph. The first Joseph, from the Old Testament, one of the Twelve Sons of Jacob, was sold into slavery in Egypt and eventually jailed. God empowered him with the gift of interpreting dreams. And as Joseph showed the Pharaoh what the dreams meant that were vexing him, Joseph convinced the Pharaoh to prepare for upcoming years of famine by storing a portion of grain and other supplies. Joseph's advice was so spot-on that the Pharaoh made him second in command in the whole country, trusting him so completely that he directed everyone who found themselves in need to go to Joseph. As Catholics, we apply that phrase not only to the patriarch's son from the book of Genesis, but also to Joseph the carpenter from Nazareth. Why then do we urge one another to go to St. Joseph? Judging from the scriptures, it certainly wasn't on account of his speech-making. Joseph may very well have been talented at rhetoric. The point is that no one really knows. There is not a single word of dialogue coming from St. Joseph in the Gospels. You can look it up for yourselves if you don't believe me. His love for Jesus and Mary and his singleness of purpose speak loudly. He always acted for the well-being of those he loved rather than his own advancement. Plus, several times in the Gospel of Matthew, an angel of the Lord directed him to act, and unfailingly he listened and did as the angel directed. Only a man of great humility and holiness would have been attuned to hear those messages, much less docile enough to obey them. Now, several years ago, Pope Francis made an executive decision. He instructed bishops and priests to insert in every Eucharistic prayer the mention of Joseph, immediately after mentioning Mary. Previously, this only appeared in the first Eucharistic prayer, otherwise referred to as the Roman Canon. Not only does this move show us something of the Holy Father's personal piety, it also reminds us of the true intercessory power of St. Joseph, of which all Christians should avail themselves. Now, as we embark on this holy year of St. Joseph, Pope Francis is asking us to incorporate the Foster Father of the Christ Child more deliberately in our daily prayers. That in itself means a great deal. We are also encouraged to obtain a plenary indulgence. This teaching of the faith, I will admit, is often confusing and badly misunderstood. And part of that is due to the historical baggage that indulgences tend to dredge up. Where abuses in this area were sadly more commonplace in the Middle Ages, it is not so anymore but I fear that we may have swung the pendulum the other way by hardly ever referring to them. So please bear with me as I do a brief Theology 101 lesson. Every spiritual gift anyone receives is drawn from the treasury of the merits of Christ. As a divine person, he alone can save and sanctify us. We cannot step in and do that in his place. There would be no such thing as an indulgence were it not for the paschal mystery of Christ. An indulgence is the remission of all or part of the temporal punishment due to sin. Two kinds of punishment can result from the sinfulness of human beings. One, eternal punishment comes from a total and definitive break from life with God. In those cases, sadly, the person would rather be separated from the Trinity forever than to abide with them. God doesn't reject that soul's rejection, but ratifies his request, and there's nothing we can do about them. But what about those who love God, but because of the residual stain of venial sins in their lives, cannot yet behold God face to face? As fellow members of the body of Christ, we are united to each other. Those souls need to be purified for a period of time, and Jesus allows us to assist them with our prayers so as to alleviate their sufferings. Once upon a time, the church had the custom of attaching various amounts of time, 30 days, 300 days, etc., to the spiritual works that we would perform. This was not to imply that the rules of time on earth apply exactly to the afterlife as well. This was to distinguish the proportion of the respective acts. And we don't do that anymore. Instead, we call all of those partial indulgences. However, we believe that a plenary indulgence removes all of one's temporal punishment, thereby releasing an individual from purgatory and making their way to heaven. To gain a plenary indulgence in this year of St. Joseph, one must be in a state of grace and free from attachment to sin. That means making a good confession. It also includes receiving Holy Communion, praying for the intentions of the Holy Father, and a recommended 30 minute period of prayer either to St. Joseph or reciting the mysteries of the Rosary, preferably in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Here's the bottom line. Holy Mother Church asks us to unleash the Spirit's gifts, not only here and now, but for those who have gone before us. As he cared so diligently for Jesus and Mary, St. Joseph wants to extend that paternal care to us as well. With Christmas on our doorstep, we are being reminded of the patron of the universal church. May his constant example of virtue inspire husbands, fathers, grandfathers, and Christians in every walk of life. Amen.